John chapter 12, verses 27 to 50. Hear the word of the Lord. Now is my soul troubled. What shall I say? Father, save me from this hour. But for this purpose I have come to this hour. Father, glorify Your name. Then a voice came from heaven. I have glorified it, and I will glorify it again. The crowd that stood there and heard it said that it had thundered. Others said, An angel has spoken to him. Jesus answered, This voice has come for your sake, not mine. Now is the judgment of this world. Now will the ruler of this world be cast out. And I, when I am lifted up from the earth, will draw all people to myself. He said this to show by what kind of death he was going to die. So the crowd answered him, We have heard from the law that the Christ remains forever. How can you say that the Son of Man must be lifted up? Who is this Son of Man? So Jesus said to them, The light is among you for a little while longer. Walk while you have the light, lest darkness overtake you. The one who walks in the darkness does not know where he is going. While you have the light, believe in the light, that you may become sons of light. When Jesus had said these things, he departed and hid himself from them. Though he had done so many signs before them, they still did not believe in him so that the words spoken by the prophet Isaiah might be fulfilled. Lord, who has believed what he heard from us, and to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? Therefore they could not believe. For again Isaiah said, He has blinded their eyes and hardened their hearts, lest they see with their eyes and understand with their heart, and turn, and I would heal them. Isaiah said these things because he saw his glory and spoke of him. Nevertheless, many even of the authorities believed in him, but for fear of the Pharisees they did not confess it, so that they would not be put out of the synagogue. For they loved the glory that comes from man more than the glory that comes from God. And Jesus cried out and said, Whoever believes in me believes not in me, but in him who sent me. And whoever sees me sees him who sent me. I have come into the world as light, so that whoever believes in me may not remain in darkness. If anyone hears my words and does not keep them, I do not judge him, for I did not come to judge the world, but to save the world. The one who rejects me and does not receive my words has a judge. The word that I have spoken will judge him on that last day. For I have not spoken on my own authority, but the Father who sent me has given Himself has given me a commandment, what to say and what to speak, and I know that His commandment is eternal life. What I say, therefore, I say as the Father has told me. Let's pray. And now may the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts be acceptable in Your sight, O God, our strength and our Redeemer. Amen. Bill Watterson, Greta Garbo, Sid Barrett, Harper Lee, J.D. Salinger, and Howard Hughes are some examples of people who reached the pinnacle of fame and then they retired into private life. Uh, Bill Watterson wrote our uh, beloved Calvin and Hobbes. And uh, let's see, uh, Sid Barrett was one of the founding members of Pink Floyd, but dropped out of the band after a couple years. Greta Garbo was a famous actress at the beginning of the 1900s. Harper Lee wrote only two books, uh, To Kill a Mockingbird and one other one, and then she retired into private life. J.D. Uh, J. Salinger, Catcher in the Rye, did the same thing, and of course, Howard Hughes, the famous 
uh, aviator and producer and businessman. Uh, fame, and then they walked away from the fame. Now, some of them were very eccentric, uh, and some of them were actually very unstable. But out of the others simply detested being in the public eye. They didn't want it anymore. They wanted a normal life. We have seen Jesus do something periodically. He gets out into the public eye, and many people are, are gathering around him and listening to him, and then he retires. But last week we saw the, the pinnacle of his fame up to this point, when he came into Jerusalem and the crowds were hailing him as king. He was at the, the apogee of his popularity, and, and people were expecting great things from him. This is the last week of his life, and the rest of this Gospel of John is the, relate, uh, the relation of the last seven days of Jesus' life. And he is about to pull away from the crowds again during this last week. After he has marched into Jerusalem as a king, now he's about to pull aside into private life so that he can focus on his disciples for a few days until the end of his life. However, before he pulls aside, he's giving one more opportunity to the world. So what we have in this section is his parting shot, as, you, as it were, his, his parting words to the world. And so we ought to pay attention to these because he's giving the world a final opportunity But we will find that there is a deep problem with the world and its inability to believe. Now, what we have here are three sections. Jesus' glorification, Jesus' rejection, and Jesus' final summary. And um, you recall that last week he came to a, a shocking statement after saying throughout the Gospel of John that his hour had not yet come, his hour had not yet come, his hour had not yet come. He announced last week that what? His hour had come. And then he said... A grain of wheat needs to fall to the earth and die. So he put these two things together. His hour had come. His hour had come to do what? His hour had come to die. And after he had said that, now we we continue that. And it says here, that you remember how Jesus was at um, at the tomb of Lazarus? It says that he was agitated and he was actually indignant. Well, it uses that agitated word once again. It says that Jesus was very agitated. And then he asks a question. Verse 27. Now my soul is troubled. It's agitated. And what shall I say? He's come to this climactic hour. And then he says, what shall I say? I want to form a prayer here. And what kind of prayer shall I offer to God? And then he says this. Father, save me from this hour. Now... This is, is translated one of two ways. In this version, and in many versions, it's translated like a question, a hypothetical. And it reads like this, Now is my soul troubled, and what shall I say? Father, save me from this hour? As a hypothetical question. Or it can be read like this, Now is my soul troubled, as a statement, Now is my soul troubled, and what shall I say? Father, save me from this hour. But however we read it, However we read it as a hypothetical question is, should I pray this prayer or is Jesus actually praying this prayer? He's already announced that He's gotten to the hour and then He prays or at least considers praying, 
Father, I've come to this hour, my appointed hour for which we've been waiting. And now, save me from this hour. But immediately, immediately, he says, but for this purpose, I have come to this hour. All his life, and we could say in another sense, all of eternity was moving forward to this hour, but when he he gets to the hour, he contemplates. As a man who is God, he contemplates what this is going to be to bear the sins of the world. And he says, I've come for this. This is why I'm here. And then he changes the focus of his prayer and he says this, Father, glorify Your name. Glorify Your name. Now, we don't have the account in the Gospel of John that we have in the other Gospels of the Garden of Gethsemane where Jesus goes aside and He says, Father, if it's possible, take this cup from Me, but not My will, but Your will be done. This is the same kind of prayer here. But instead of talking about a cup, He's talking about an hour. And He comes to that cup in the, in the other Gospels. He comes to the hour here and He says, can I be spared from this hour? Can I be spared from this cup? Is there, is there any other way to do this? Is there any way for, for the plan of salvation to be accomplished without me drinking this cup, without me coming to this hour of my death? And then He says, no, this is why I've come. In the other Gospels, Your will be done. And in this Gospel, Father, glorify Your name. And then there's a, an answer from heaven. This is the only time unlike the other Gospels, is the only time where there's a voice from heaven for Jesus. And the voice from heaven says, I have glorified it, and I will glorify it again. Which probably means, I have glorified it in your life, and I am going to glorify it again in your death. And then the crowd, once again, didn't understand. This is typical all through the Gospel of John. They said, did it just thunder? Was that thunder? Another said, no, it must have been an angel speaking to him. And curiously, Jesus says to the crowd, He says, this voice was not for my sake, but it was for your sake. Well, how was it for their sake if they didn't understand it? Jesus understood it. They didn't understand it. But He said, this was for your sake. But all through the Gospel, what have we, said? What have we seen? All of Jesus' words have been for whose sake? For their sake. But they didn't understand them. So this is not, this is not a surprise that these words spoken from heaven would be for their sake, and once again, they didn't understand them. Now Jesus went on to explain what His death would mean, what His hour would mean, verse 31 to 36. First He says, His death would be judgment for the world. Now, why would His death be judgment for the world? Isn't it salvation for the world? It is, but what's the world doing here? The world is crucifying the Savior. And that's the judgment on the world. What did, what did the world do when God sent His only Son? The world judged itself by rejecting the Savior. And He says, not only that, the ruler of this world will be cast out. Curious that He would call someone else the ruler of the world other than God. But there's a sub-ruler he's referring to here. The one who seems to be in charge of things, Satan, the enemy, devil. 
He says, it will be His casting out. It won't look like that, will it? It will look like the victory of Satan over Jesus, but Jesus says, on the contrary, it will be the exile, the banishment of Satan. That's what my death will mean. And then He says this, if we've if we missed it up until this point, we can't miss it now. In verse 32, And I, when I am lifted up from the earth, will draw all people to Myself. And now John finally explains things to us. Verse 33, He said this to show by what kind of death He was going to die. There have been hints about this all along, haven't there? All the way back at the beginning, he said he was going to be lifted up like the snake in the wilderness. But now John puts, puts it together for us and said, He said this so that we would know by what kind of death he was going to die. Let me ask you, in those days, what was the kind of death that somebody would die by being lifted up above the earth? And the answer was a cross. And so now we have this very explicitly explained to us. But he says, that cross is my raised platform. That cross is my exalted place from which I will draw all people to myself. Now, he doesn't mean every individual, but we just saw last week, uh, at the beginning of this chapter, all people. Who was there at the triumphal entry? The Jews were there, and the nations were there. So from From His exalted platform, the cross, He is going to draw Jews to Himself. He is going to draw Gentiles to Himself. What looks like a defeat of Jesus is the defeat of Satan. What looks like the end of His ministry is the raised platform from which He will draw people to Himself. And then, verse 34, the crowd answered Him, We have heard from the law that the Christ remains forever. Now, there was a a discussion among the Jews. There were some Jews that thought that the Messiah, the Christ, would die. But other Jews thought that He would come and establish a reign and live forever. And that seems to be the majority position. And they're trying to put two and two together. How can you say that the Son of Man must be lifted up? Who is this Son of Man? And it's interesting here that they are beginning to put two and two together. They're, they're understanding that by lifting up, they mean He means die. He means to be crucified. And, and they understand that Jesus is referring to the Messiah as the Son of Man. And they knew that He was referring to Himself as the Son of Man. So they, they were putting some of these elements together, but they weren't fitting for them. And they were not believing them. And Jesus didn't answer their question directly. All He said was this, The light's on for a little while longer. And soon the darkness is going to come. You have all you need, and the lights are on. So take advantage of this brief period, because the light's going to be turned off soon, and you may stumble in the darkness. And of course, once again, he's referring to his death. So he doesn't answer them. He's already answered them many times. You have all the elements, and you need to believe them. You need to see them while the light's still on. Now, the fact that many Jews did not believe in Jesus is a problem. It's a problem, and it was a problem in early Christianity. And it was a problem for John as he was writing this gospel. He was trying to preach the gospel to Jews, 
But one objection to Jesus as the Messiah was this. If Jesus really was the Messiah, why didn't the people of God believe in Him? Because certainly, when the Messiah finally comes, and they've been expecting the Messiah for generations, certainly they will receive that Messiah. And He came, and the majority rejected Him. They didn't believe in Him. So He can't possibly be the Messiah if, if the majority of His own people rejected Him. And now what John does here, well actually Jesus does it, but here in the Gospel of John it's very clear, in the other Gospels as well. He says this, verse 37, Though He had done so many signs before them, they still did not believe in Him, so that the words spoken by the prophet Isaiah might be fulfilled. And here he goes back, first to Isaiah chapter 53, verse 11, and then he goes back to Isaiah 6, which we read earlier in this service. Verse uh, 38, Lord, who has believed what he has heard from us? And to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? Therefore, look at verse 39, therefore they could not believe. They could not believe. And here's the explanation from Isaiah 6. He, that is God, He has blinded their eyes and hardened their hearts, lest they see with their eyes and understand with their heart and turn and I would heal them. This is a remarkable statement. And it's saying this, and this is the importance of it, it's saying this, yes, it's true that many of the Jews did not believe in Him, but they could not believe in Him because it was already prophesied that they would not believe in Him. This was not a mistake on God's part. This was not something that He had to make up for. This is exactly what Isaiah announced from the beginning. They could not believe in Him because their hearts were hardened and their eyes were blinded and their ears were stopped up. And that was the doing of the Lord. And that was the plan of the Lord. Now I want you to notice something here. Two things. One is this. Look at verse 41. Isaiah said these things because he saw his glory and spoke of him. Now who is this him? He saw his glory and spoke of him. In this context, the him and the his refers to Jesus. So what, what John is saying here is that, that that vision that Isaiah saw in the temple when the Lord was high and lifted up and the trains of His robe filled the temple, that was a vision of the glory of Jesus. And that's why Isaiah spoke this about Him because the, the commission for Isaiah was go and preach to people who will not hear you. Who, who will not see, who will not understand, and who will not believe. And now he's relating this to Jesus. That's what Jesus did. And that's what was prophesied about Him. And that's the first thing we need to understand here. But the other thing is this. And this is, this is troubling to humans because we have two facts in Scripture that are put side by side without any embarrassment whatsoever. Without any sense that there is a problem here without any sense of a need to reconcile, without any sense of a need to dilute one or the other. And there are these two things that have troubled humanity for probably forever. And there are these. God is completely in control of absolutely everything that happens. And you are responsible for your responses to God. God is completely sovereign. 
It says He's the one that hardened their hearts. He's the one that, that blinded their eyes. He's the one that stopped up their ears so that they could not believe. But nonetheless, they are responsible to believe. We are responsible human agents, and God is completely sovereign over all things. Now, you may have a problem with that. The Bible doesn't. (laughs) Philosophers have a problem with that. The Bible is not embarrassed about this at all. It states these two things, and it leaves them there. Now, what is the... What is the, the, the takeaway of that? Jesus said, when I'm lifted up on the cross, I will do what? I will draw all people to myself. So the takeaway of that for humans is this. We need for Him to draw us to Himself. We need Him to cause us to be born from above. We need Him to bring us to Himself. We are not able in and of ourselves. We are required to believe. We must believe in order to have eternal life. But we are so dependent on Him that He must draw us to Himself. And the good news is this, that Jesus was lifted up on the cross to do what? From that platform, to do what? To draw us to Himself, to save us. That's the point of His coming. Now, there's a curious conclusion here in this section about the inability to believe. In verse 42, just after saying that they couldn't believe, then it says, nevertheless, and here once again, no embarrassment, no sense of any problem here, because there isn't a problem here. Nevertheless, many even of the authorities believed in Him. These religious authorities that have been opposing Him the whole time, we only have had a glimpse of one of them who has shown some some interest in Jesus. Who was that? Nicodemus. And we'll find him again. But now we find out that many of them believed in Him. But then we should add, sort of. (laughs) And we have seen this throughout the Gospel of John. Many believed in Him. But then by the end of the chapter, they wanted to stone Him. Many believed in Him, but then, then they didn't like what He was saying, so they, they, they turned aside. And now once again we have this, Many believed in Him among the rulers of the Jews, but for fear of the Pharisees, they didn't confess it. So that they would not be put out of the synagogue. And then there is a devastating description of them. It says this in verse 43, For they loved the glory that comes from man, from humans, more than the glory that comes from God. That's a devastating summary statement about these leaders who sort of believed in Him. To put it in colloquial language, they cared more what people thought about them than what God thought about them. And that is corrosive to anyone's faith. And if that's how we are, more concerned about what people think about us, whatever fame or glory or recognition or affirmation or approbation that we might be able to get from humans, if that's more important to us than what God says and what God thinks and what God states and what God thinks about us, then our faith is not going to get beyond their faith. Our fear 
of man is always going to be greater than our faith in Jesus. If what's most important to us is human glory more than the glory that comes from God. Now, in the rest, from verses 44 to 50, when we read this, you might think, I think I've heard this before. I've heard this all, though, it's been spread out in the Gospel of John. And what we have here is basically a summary of everything up to this point. And you will notice some of these, these themes that are repeated here. And this summary statement is a final appeal. And it's how it functions. These are, these are the parting words to the world. And so the, the summary statement brings together many of the themes that we've already seen in the Gospel of John And if somebody asks you, what's the Gospel of John about? You could go to these verses and say, well, here's a summary of Jesus' teaching up to this point. And this is a a final holding out of the message to the world. Because the world must believe these things in order to be saved. Jesus cried out and said, first point, whoever believes in Me, believes not in Me, but in Him who sent Me. We've seen that, how He has identified Himself all through the Gospel of John with the Father. Even more strongly, verse 45, whoever sees me, sees him who sent me. You've seen me, you've seen the one who sent me. He'll say something like that to Thomas later on, or to Philip. Verse 46, I have come into the world as light, that whoever believes in me may not remain in darkness. We've seen that that light, darkness image over and over. If anyone hears my words and does not keep them, I do not judge him. We've seen over and over that Jesus says, I didn't come to condemn. I didn't come to judge. I came to save the world. But he says, the effect of my coming and my preaching these words to you will be judgment if you do not believe them. Look what he says. He says, I do not come. I do not judge him. I did not come to the world to judge but to save the world. The one who rejects me and does not receive my words has a judge. The word that I have spoken will judge him on the last day. Jesus won't need to say anything. He already said it. And the words he spoke will be the judge on that last day. And then he says why that's the case in verse 49. I have not spoken on my own authority. The Father who sent me has Himself given me a commandment. What to say and what to speak. He says, I'm not making this up, folks. He says, this comes from God. This comes from the Father. That's why these words will judge you on the last day if you do not believe them. That's why these words will save you today if you do believe them. Verse 50, And I know that His commandment is eternal life. What I say, therefore, I say as the Father has told me. That's the summary. These are themes and He's tying them all up together right before He turns aside and focuses on His disciples. And that's what He's going to do, starting in the next chapter. He's going to leave the crowds, and He's going to focus on His disciples, and teach His disciples what it means to be a disciple. But here, before He does that, He holds His hands out one more time to the world, and says, folks, this is what I've been saying all along. This is the message. This is salvation. This is what I came to do. This is eternal life. Believe in me and live. And what I want to say to you is we should stop here and take stock of ourselves because he's about to turn aside from the world and go to his disciples who have already believed in him. And so in order to understand chapters 13 and following, 
we need to have taken advantage of chapters 1 to 12. And how do we need to do that? By believing them. You see, we can't go on to what He's about to teach His disciples unless we are disciples. And we are not disciples unless we have have understood what He said in chapters 1 to 12 and believed them. And so it's a good time to stop before we go on to the deeper things of disciples and ask if we're disciples and ask if we have believed these things. And if not, now's the time. Jesus said, the the lights are on now. So take advantage of the fact that you have the opportunity now. And then, also, for those who have believed, don't stop at chapter 12. You see, that's, that's a problem, maybe with world Christianity, but certainly with Western Christianity. We got this. Believe and have eternal life. Perfect. But we haven't gone on to the life of a disciple. And so don't stop at chapter 12. Move on to chapter 13. If you've believed, now comes instruction about what it means to be a believer about what it means to live out your faith. So hear the message of Jesus in chapters 1-12. to Believe in Him and have eternal life. And then hear what He's going to say from chapters 13 and on and follow Him with your life as a disciple of Christ. Let's pray. Lord, we come to a turning point in this Gospel. And we stop, and we take stock, and I pray that You would help all of us to do that. And ask ourselves if we believe these things. And I pray that You would give faith to all that we might believe these things. And that we would not be afraid of humans. That we would not have this sort of kind of faith that many have had in the Gospel of John up to this point. But that we would seek Your glory more than the glory of humans. And Father, I pray that You would enable us also to hear the lessons, if we have believed, to hear the lessons of what it means to be a disciple. And that we would live our lives as believers and as followers of Jesus. And I pray this in His name. Amen.